Welcome to Eat Right with Laura. My name is Laura Rakos, and I am the owner of Eagle Rock Nutrition, an integrative healthcare practice providing dietary and lifestyle intervention strategy for disease prevention and health maintenance. Welcome to our episode, our next episode today of Eat Right with Laura. Today we are going to talk about what is the epigenome. And how does it affect the health of your baby? Um, this topic is of interest to me because one, I teach a nutrigenomics and an epigenomics class at Rutgers University. And lately, I've been seeing a lot of expectant moms or couples who would like to start a family. And I like to teach them about the things that they can be doing while the baby is growing or before the baby is conceived that will improve the health of their baby's genes. And that might sound provocative, but maybe not so much. So let me explain to you what is your epigenome. Your epigenome represents your DNA and all of the chemical changes that enable the expression of your genes. So you have a genomic sequence, you have a gene sequence, a set of genes, but you are in control of when those genes are expressed. And this happens through chemical changes. There are very specific chemical changes that turn your genes on and off. And these changes are mediated by your environment, the foods you eat, and your lifestyle habits. So let me just describe three of those chemical changes. And I just want you to understand that the epigenome has nothing to do with changing the sequence of your genes. Once you're born, your genes, your genetic sequence is cast in stone. It does not change. But you've been listening to my podcast now for a while, and you are well acquainted with the fact that your behavior and lifestyle and diet can determine when those genes are expressed and when those genes are turned off. And one of the ways that it happens is through specific specific chemical changes. So one of the changes is through something called methylation, uh, which is basically a C and, and three H's. So a carbon and three hydrogens. Um, basically decorates your DNA, and methylation typically turns genes off. A second way is through modification of of what's called histones. Think of a histone like a beach ball. When the beach ball is sitting on top of your genes, the genes for under underneath the, the bouncing ball, the beach ball, are not expressed. But the beach ball has these fingers on it, and the fingers can be tickled through chemical modifications. So when those little finger-like projections are tickled, the ball bounces, and it comes off. And when the ball comes off, the genes underneath the ball, now they can be turned on and expressed. So that's a second way. And a third way is through little pieces of DNA called microRNAs. So there are certain foods that you can be eating that can stimulate the production of these RNAs, and they have a profound impact on gene expression. These microRNAs can turn your genes on and off as well. So how, how do you regulate this? How does all this happen? Well, it happens through the, the foods you eat and the chemicals that are found in those foods. 
So I will not get into the nitty gritty details of the chemistry of all of this. Otherwise, you'll probably stop lis- listening. However, if there are some listeners in my podcast that are true scientists, scientists that would really like to learn more about the science and chemistry of the epigenome, let me know. And we can have a dedicated science podcast just to, to dig deep do a deep dive on the epigenome. But what I'm gonna talk about now are the kinds of foods that produce these chemical changes. So let's just focus on methylation. Methylation is important because the most important nutrient that mediates methylation is folate. And that's why if you're expecting, or even before you're expecting, when you're even thinking about conception, you should be taking a prenatal vitamin that contains folic acid. Folic acid is the is the is the supplement that we take that's actually more bioavailable than the version that's found in food. The version of that's found in food is folate, and folate is really not a difficult nutri- nutrient to get into your diet. It's found in many many foods, especially because we add it to processed grains. So if you're just eating cereal, you're probably getting a large amount. It's known to be high in lemon peel, so I do take a little lemon peel every day to get my daily dose of folate. Uh, And folate is a very important nutrient. It's a B vitamin that mediates methylation of your genes and turns them off. So what kinds of genes do you want to turn off? You're probably thinking, but I want to turn my genes on. Um, You don't want to turn all your genes on. There are some genes that cause cancer. They're called oncogenes. So you certainly want those genes to be turned off. And there's a really important timing in the development of your of your baby's spinal cord. So you definitely need to have that folate to have proper development of your spinal cord. When this doesn't happen, you'll have some spinal cord defects. You can also have some facial deformities like cleft palate. So folate is very important in that regard, especially during the development of your baby so that you don't have these problems. But low folate is also correlated with uh, heart disease later on in life and also some kinds of cancers and I know you certainly don't want to have that. So if you're thinking about family planning, or even if you have a young child, uh, definitely take your multivitamin and make sure that you're getting enough folate. All right, so uh, let's talk about some of the other foods that you can be eating that support methylation. One of my favorite foods is coffee. Coffee contains caffeic acid, which also supports methylation. Also found in... um, Uh, Turmeric, which contains a a compound called curcumin. So curcumin supports methylation. Uh, I love eating curried dishes, especially my favorite curry dish is curried chickpeas that I get at my favorite cafe in town um, at Two Q's Cafe in Union, New Jersey. I'll give my friends Paulette and Mike a plug. Another source is soybeans. So soybeans contain a compound called genistein. Uh, I just want to say that soybeans do so many amazing things. Soybeans get a a bad, um, get the short end of the stick because of some data that's not been uh, sufficiently corroborated. In general, soybeans that are not genetically modified have a plethora of health benefits. 
Uh, I'm not going to talk about soy today, but just know that this, the genistein has many important effects, one of which is that it supports methylation of your DNA. Uh, tomatoes contain lycopene. Uh, lately, I've just been addicted to tomatoes. It's usually my go-to go food. So they contain a compound called ly lycopene that supports methylation. Uh, broccoli is definitely a superfood. Contains a family of compounds called isothiocyanates. Um, broccoli belongs to the cruciferous vegetable group and so good for you. Another great food are grapes. We've been eating grapes for thousands of years. They must be good for you. Uh, even, if you're, even if you have issues with your blood sugar, I'll tell you that uh, I will let you eat 15 grapes a day. Grapes contain a compound called resveratrol, which supports methylation and does some other awesome things for you. Uh, tea. Tea is very high in something called polyphenols, which supports methylation. And finally, just eating lot, just in general, lots of fruits and vegetables or whole grain foods that are high in fiber. Uh, what does fiber do? Fiber does many things for you, but one of the things is that it supports the growth of the good bacteria that live in your colon. And when you feed the bacteria that live in your colon, they produce a compound, a small chain fatty acid called butyrate. And butyrate is a a small molecule that promotes methylation as well. So those are all the good, good things that can support methylation to turn the bad genes off. So a little summary, uh, coffee, turmeric, soy, tomatoes, broccoli, grapes, tea, and fiber from fruits, vegetables, and whole grains. Now we're going to move on to the bouncing ball story. Uh, I like to use that bouncing ball story because it's a good illustration when I'm trying to teach the concept of epigenetics to my students. I think it's just a little visual that enables them to see the ball sitting on the jeans, turning them off. You tickle the, the little finger-like projections on the ball and the ball pops off. So what are some of the foods that support histone modifications, like tickle those tails? I'm not going to name all the chemical changes, like what I mean when I say tickle those tails but just uh, picture the, the little fingers moving and the ball coming off the the jeans so the first food that supports histone modification is garlic which contains a compound called allicin uh, the next food again is that turmeric found in curcumin so go for it if you like curried foods again soybeans um, I just want to say that soybeans are uh, one of the four genetically modified crops in the United States. We use the genetically modified soybeans to produce soy protein isolate and to produce soy lecithin, which is a thickener found in processed foods. That's not the soy that I'm talking about. I'm talking about non-genetically modified edamame that you can eat as a snack or non-genetically modified uh, tofu, which is curdled soy milk and maybe even some tempeh, which is fermented soybeans. All right, soybeans, again, the genistein supports the histone modification. And then there's also this important, it's a peptide, a peptide called lunacin that modifies histones. All right, so the next food is cinnamon, something that I love to put in my coffee. Contains hydroxycinnamic acid, which promotes histone modifications. And these histone modifications, they can go both ways. They could either turn the genes on or they can turn the genes off. And your body knows, your cells know uh, which genes should be turned on and off, on and which genes should be turned off. 
All right, the next food is cashews, which contain uh, anacardic acid, uh, something that also supports histone modifications. Um, another, again, the grapes support histone modifications. And then I'm gonna talk about citrus fruits, apples and berries, uh, which contain uh, one of the, of the tens of thousands of plant-based compounds found in these fruits. One of the compounds is called quercetin, which supports histone modifications. And then there's green tea, which contains EGCG, EGCG, which is another compound that supports histone modifications. Uh, and finally, I'm going to move on to the last category, uh, something called the microRNAs. I told you these are little pieces of DNA that have a profound impact on whether your genes are turned on and turned off. All right, your body makes these. Your body makes the microRNAs depending on the kinds of foods that you're eating. So what are the foods that drive the production of these microRNAs? One is a high, the fat found in high fat diets. So good fats and bad fats. I prefer that you eat fats from um, olive oil and avocados and coconut oil and olives and fish, all right? Uh, those are the good fats. Uh, another ingredient that promotes production of microRNAs is again the turmeric, which contains curcumin, again the soybeans that contain genistein, and then sunflower seeds which contain vitamin E. So vitamin E is a fat-soluble vitamin that's found largely in the, in the germ of seeds uh, such as sunflower seeds. So another reason, so I just named all the ways that your DNA is chemically modified. The reason why these chemical modifications are so important, not just because they promote, they either stop the expression of bad genes or support the expression of good genes, not only because of that, but also because these chemical modifications are inherited. So your behavior today can impact the genetic health of your grandchildren. So bad dietary habits can be passed from one generation to the next, and those bad habits take another subsequent couple of generations to dilute out. So by the time your grandchildren realize how they need to change their diet to reverse these chemical modifications, it will take another two to three generations to dilute out the bad habits. So if you're thinking about having a family or if you are expecting, I just like to point out some of the foods that should be included in your diet so that you can support healthy chemical modification of your genes that will then ensure the health of your baby and subsequent generations. Uh, I'll just remind you that it's always a good idea to take a prenatal vitamin. Go to your OBGYN. They'll prescribe something for you that has all the, all the things you need. Not only do you need the folate, but you also need choline and you need omega-3 fatty acids and you need a couple of other B vitamins um, and you need some minerals. You need minerals like zinc and magnesium. Uh, many, many reasons why you need to take these prenatal vitamins. But um, you know, this entire podcast is for the benefit of all of my new patients who are in the process of 
having a family or thinking about having a family. I just wanted to point out the importance of your epigenome and why I um, beg you to follow this healthy diet that has all these plant-based foods so that you can have pass on, pass on some good genetic genetics to your families. Maybe one thing that I want to point out also is um, that there's a couple of other things that have an impact on your epigenome that promote chemical modifications in addition to the three types that I just named, the methylation, the histone modification, and the microRNA. I just want you to understand that when you're expecting, it's very common to experience morning sickness. Um, there's a lot of reasons why we have morning sickness. Uh, certainly it's caused by the alteration of the hormones that uh, incurs when you're expecting. But the reason why you, one of the reasons, just one of the reasons why you may experience morning sickness is that morning sickness ensures that you do not overeat when you're expecting. Uh, overeating, eating too much food, definitely has some negative downstream stream cons consequences on your genome. So you definitely don't want to be overeating, but you also don't want to be undereating. One of the problems with undereating when you're expecting is that once the baby is born and they're exposed to food abundance, the body doesn't know how to deal. The, so the baby has been adapted to a low food environment and then when they're exposed to a high feeding environment, that has profound consequences on the genome. So you wanna have a healthy diet while you're expecting and you wanna expose your, your newborn child to a healthy eating environment. Uh, and since I teach this epigenetics class, um, there's a couple of things that occur to me that probably also impact your epigenome and not in a good way, not in a bad way. It just has uh, an, an effect on the epigenome. So um, babies that are born through in vitro fertilization, that's probably something that impacts the epigenome. And then I think what I'm, you know, what we're experiencing now, I think we're just on the cusp of where you know, people who have a Y chromosome, you know, uh, uh, boys have an X and a Y chromosome, girls have two X chromosomes. I think that we are now on the cusp of seeing people with Y chromosomes getting uterine transplants and having babies also. So this will probably also have an impact on the epigenome. I can't say in, you know, what kinds of changes, and I, I don't know that... I, I wouldn't say that they're good or bad changes, they're just gonna be changes. In the same way, probably in the same way that we've adapted to no longer needing needing wisdom teeth. I noticed that my kids don't have wisdom teeth and you know we've evolved so that we don't need wisdom teeth because we don't chew raw meat anymore. Uh, I don't have an appendix. It doesn't really serve a purpose. It's just something in you know evolution. But I see that these things, um, I'm sure that you know, in vitro fertilization treatments have had an impact on the epigenome, and I think that in the future, when we have uh, Y chromosome people um, supporting pregnancies, that will have another 
impact on, on the epigenome. I And for those of you who are in the field who study this in a laboratory, I don't have a laboratory, I just, I'm a nutritionist, I just have a healthcare practice. So for people who are scientists and who are studying nutrigenomics and the epigenome, I'd like to know if you are doing any experiments that can interrogate how some of these things will impact the epigenome. But um, I'm going to end my podcast right about now. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I hope you found that it was quite informative. And if you'd like to follow up with me, feel free to reach out to me on my website, www.eaglerock.com. That's E-G-G-L-R-O-C-K.com. You can also follow me on Facebook at Eagle Rock Nutrition. You can follow, you can t- send a tweet out to me at Eagle Rock Nutrition or at Eagle Rock. My Twitter feed is at Eagle Rock, E-G-G-L-R-O-C-K. Or you can follow me on Instagram at Eagle Rock underscore nutrition. So that's all for tonight. Thank you so much for listening.